Good morning. I'm David Zichterman, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Really no new announcements at this time. Because the stay-at-home order goes until May 4, we won't be able to meet together till after that time. From the phone calls I'm making, I'm gathering that most are doing okay, maybe a little bored, but managing nonetheless. If you are in need of anything, even just to talk, feel free to give me a call. I also encourage you to check in on one another. If you find yourself thinking, I wonder how so-and-so is doing, just give them a call and find out. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 47. This psalm draws our attention to the fact that God is king. He rules the world. Our world belongs to him. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Let's pray. God, you are king. We praise and worship you, for you are worthy. You created us, provide for our needs, and have redeemed us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us tell the great story of how you care for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now a verse from I Love to Tell the Story. Now we will spend some time in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are forever. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. But our lives are short, like grass or flowers that quickly fade. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. O Lord, although we don't know why you allow COVID-19 to ravage this world, or why so many have to suffer and die from this virus. Still, you have called us at all times to seek you and to acknowledge that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. For the church struggling with faith in the midst of global suffering, 
God, we believe in your willingness to heal and your power to do so. Help our unbelief. For first responders and frontline health workers, especially in epicenters of infection, God, reinforce their ranks and strengthen them with supernatural energy. For companies with the ability and the mandate to manufacture much-needed protective equipment for our, for our frontline healthcare workers, God establish the work of their hands. For transit workers, police officers, and other public servants working tireless, tirelessly, often without adequate protection, God give them stamina every day and keep them from falling ill. For nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, and other long-term care facilities, God encourage the lonely residents and strengthen the staff members who help them. Prevent further spread of infection and comfort families who can no longer visit their loved ones. For our church, we ask that you may sustain us and watch over us. We ask for your protection and comfort for those in nursing homes. We think of Adeline, John and Dorothy, Marge, Lila, and Darla. We lift before you those with ongoing health concerns, Linda and Jerry, and Carson. We thank you, Almighty God, that you have not forgotten nor neglected your little church here in Renville. We thank you that you hear our prayers and move our hearts to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we listen to our next song, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus, reflect on these words from Revelation chapter 5. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. For those who are wondering, I did not find a random Scotsman to sing for us this week. That recording comes from smallchurchmusic.com. I try to get recordings from members of our church each week, but some, week, some weeks it doesn't work out like this one. Anyway, now a, a prayer before we read God's word. Dear God, through your word, center our hearts on you and your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rachel will now read for us our scripture passage. Acts 1, 1 through 14. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Right now, there is a lot of waiting. We're waiting for spring to fully emerge, for leaves to begin to bud, for the grass to turn fully green, for the fields to warm up and so be able to accept seed. Many students, I imagine, are waiting for the school year to end and for the freedoms of summer to begin. I'm waiting, and I suspect many of you are as well, for the time when we will be able to meet together again. We are all waiting for this pandemic to finally and fully pass. It has put our lives on hold in many ways. It has held us captive to our homes. We long for the freedom to go out and about as we please. The national conversation has shifted in this direction as well. Now the question being asked is no longer, how long should we stay at home? Instead, the question being asked is, when can society slowly be opened up again? This waiting we now have to endure gives us something in common with those early Christians who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Just as we sit around, lives disrupted, trying not to be idle, asking, now what? So too, the apostles after Jesus had gone into heaven were left staring into the sky wondering, now what? The book of Acts was written to answer that question, now what? Luke begins, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. What's important to notice about this little intro is that by saying that his former book, which we know as the Gospel of Luke, dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach, then this current book would be about what Jesus continues to do and teach. What Jesus began to do and teach happened through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should expect what Jesus will continue to do and teach will also occur through the Holy Spirit. Now watch how this happens. After his suffering, his cruel death on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead and showed himself to the apostles and many others and gave many convincing proofs to them of a over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus during this time rehearsed all that he had taught them up to this point. I imagine he would have rehearsed the values of his kingdom captured in his Beatitudes, which say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. In God's kingdom, everything is upside down. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus reminded his disciples of these things and much more to let them know they were to carry on his mission. Jesus had come to inaugurate God's upside-down kingdom, where the first are last and the last are first. And now the disciples were being asked to carry on that work. This was Jesus passing the baton moment, if you will. The disciples were being given the keys to the kingdom and the responsibility for its well-being. So Jesus was going to continue to do and teach through the ongoing work of his disciples. But how could they accomplish this great task, this incredible burden? On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How could Jesus' disciples carry on his mission? Through the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I sometimes think we are tempted to think of the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars. Some mysterious power some people are able to tap into and acquire some really strange and odd powers like speaking in tongues or healing others. But that isn't the right image. A helpful place to start is with how we use the word spirit in everyday language and use that as an analogy. So when members of a school all seem to be united and passionate about their school, we say they have school spirit. We sometimes speak of the spirit of certain cities like Chicago or New Orleans, some distinctive that have some distinctive quality that is shared by the members of those places. Sometimes we describe people as having a peaceful or joyful spirit. Now, what do all these things have in common? When we use spirit in these everyday examples, We refer to that which binds together, which unites someone to something greater and grander than themselves. So when a person has school spirit, they are caught up into the mission and vision of that school. They are raised out of themselves to a higher purpose, 
and they are united with others to that purpose. When we speak of team spirit, we are describing that which unites the basketball players on the court with the fans cheering in the bleachers with the, uh, with the, with the same goal of, of, of winning many games. When we speak of a city spirit, we refer to the pride of place that captures the imagination of all, of all who live in that place. It makes them part of the whole. When we speak of spirit in everyday language, we mean that which binds us together and unites us into something bigger than ourselves. This ordinary use of the, of the word spirit gives us a foundation for understanding who the Holy Spirit is. At the very least, the Holy Spirit is he who binds us together and unites us into something bigger than ourselves. But this is no ordinary spirit. This is the Holy Spirit, the personal energy of God who proceeds from the Father and the Son. As such, he is to be worshipped and glorified. This Holy Spirit accompanied Jesus through his earthly ministry. When the disciples were with Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit who bound them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the bond of love between them, who united them to Jesus' mission and raised them out of their ordinary concerns to be concerned about the things of God. So when Jesus promised that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, he was promising that this Holy Spirit would not leave them. And if the Holy Spirit remained with them, then they would remain united with Christ, connected with Jesus' mission and vision for life. The apostles, upon hearing this promise of the Holy Spirit, connected it with the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel, they asked. Their question, apparently, is a lot like the question children ask their parents on any trip they take. Are we there yet? Is the end near? The question, is the end near, is asked by various people throughout the Gospels, and Jesus' consistent answer is, the timing is not for you to know, that's God's business. That is Jesus' response here as well. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't worry about the times, in other words. Don't worry, instead, you will, re you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were already told what they were to do. They were to continue to carry on the work of their Lord and Master by extending his kingdom. Now they are told how, by being his witnesses. As N.T. Wright explains, what does that mean? Quite simply this. In the resurrection, Jesus is enthroned as Israel's Messiah and therefore king of the whole world. He is the one at whose name every knee shall bow, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. In the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, that new authority would take effect through heralds going off throughout the territory in question with the news, We have a king! That was always proclaimed as good news. And this is what Jesus is telling them they must now do. 
they were to be heralds of King Jesus. But they would do so through the power and energy of the Holy Spirit, who was promised by the Father. So even as they traveled out through the earth, from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, their connection with their king would never be severed. The Holy Spirit, the bond of love who unites them with Jesus, would pour into their hearts a continuous love for Jesus that would sustain them as they proclaim the good news that Jesus is king. Now the disciples knew what they were to do, be, be heralds of Jesus and work to advance his kingdom. They knew how they could do it as well through the strength given by the Holy Spirit who bound them to the love of Christ. Then Jesus ascended before them. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. The disciples looked intently up into heaven, and the question again rises, Now what? Two angels assured them that Jesus would one day return, and with that assurance they returned to Jerusalem. While they waited for the promised Holy Spirit, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. During this time of waiting, this time of waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, they prayed together constantly. So now what? How could they carry on Jesus' mission while they waited for the promised Holy Spirit? They could carry on Jesus' mission through prayer. I think this serves as a helpful model for us today. We too are waiting. We are waiting for the world to change, for life to get back to normal, for the economy to open up again. In this way, our waiting is different from those early disciples. They waited for a specific promise of God, the Holy Spirit. We have already received that same Holy Spirit, and our waiting is simply the waiting to get on with our lives not necessarily awaiting to get on with God's design for our lives. But therein is the opportunity as well. This passage invites us to slow down and begin to imagine how we can continue to do and teach what Jesus had begun. Now what? Now is the time to pray. This time is an invitation to refocus, on, refocus our lives on God and His will for our lives. And prayer is the tool God has given us for that. Through prayer, we allow God to shape the desires of our heart. Through prayer, the Holy Spirit tunes our hearts to play God's song. The book of Acts confronts us with the question, now what? Well, now we know what. We are to continue to do and teach what Jesus had begun. And we are to do so through the energy and power of the Holy Spirit who unites us with Christ's mission, and inflames our hearts with a love for God. In this time of waiting, we can do and teach what Jesus had begun by devoting ourselves to prayer, by praying for this world, for the church, and also for ourselves. This time of waiting is an opportunity to, to turn again to God in fervent prayer. As the Catechism explains, God gives us His grace and Holy Spirit, to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thank him for them. Let us pray. Loving Lord, you never left your disciples without the tools they needed to follow your ways. 
so equip us that we might be found faithful witnesses to the joy of your resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. May you now receive this blessing. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.